0: All right, Psalm 35, please stand for the reading of God's word, and it's a little bit of a long one, so settle in and don't lock your knees, or you might faint here. (laughs) Okay, Psalm 35 of David, contend Lord with those who contend with me, fight against those who fight against me, take up shield and armor, arise and come to my aid, brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I am your salvation. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Since they hid their net for me without cause, and without cause dug a pit for me, may ruin overtake them by surprise may the net they hid entangle them may they fall into the pit to their ruin then my soul will rejoice in the lord and delight in his salvation my whole being will exclaim who is like you lord you rescue the poor from those too strong for them the poor and needy from those who rob them ruthless witnesses come forward They question me on things I know nothing about. They repay me evil for good and leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when I stumbled, they gathered in glee. Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. They slandered me without ceasing. Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked. They gnashed their teeth at me. How long, Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They do not speak peaceably, but devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They sneer at me and say, aha, aha, with our own eyes we have seen it. Lord, you have seen this. Do not be silent. Do not be far from me, Lord. Awake and rise to my defense. Contend for me. My God and Lord, vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord my God. Do not let them gloat over me. Do not let them think, aha, just what we wanted, or say, we have swallowed him up. May all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. May those who delight in my vindication Shout for joy and gladness. May they always say, the Lord be exalted, who delights in the well-being of his servant. My tongue will proclaim your righteousness, your praises all day long. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Happy psalm for a happy day. Special thanks to Ali Bray. I reached out at like ten p m last night um I, my scripture didn't follow through. Could you read tomorrow yes also it's it's kind of long also it's kind of angry you know was, so thank you for that reading um I feel like, sorry, Ryan's little sign I, I was talking to him this week, he, he showed me, that. I'm like, Ryan's such a brander, I'm like, you need to start a satanhates.com, you know, like I feel like, you know, like Satan hates my quiet time, Satan hates my marriage, like there's a good, there's an opportunity there I think he should, he should look into, I'm not much of a brander, but um, he could figure that out. Ah, all right, good to see you all this morning, uh, happy late July, and uh, if you haven't been with us, we're going through the Psalms this summer. And what we're kind of, the the big question we're asking uh, about prayer in the Psalms is that I think the Psalms ask is, um, what if prayer is not a place to be good? (laughs) Like what if prayer is actually a place to be honest? What if prayer is the place where we can come to God exactly as we are? We have a God who is big enough to handle whatever we might throw His way. Uh, I've been encouraging you guys to read this book, When Prayer Becomes Real. And I love this quote uh, in that. It says, Prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. Prayer is not a place to perform. It's a place to be present. Prayer is not a place to be right. It's a place to be known. Prayer is not a place to prove your worth. It is a place to receive your worth and offer yourself in truth. And that is certainly what we see in the Psalms. Uh, These people who trust in the love of God, and the, the, the grace and love of God is the context in which they feel safe to share uh, whatever is on their hearts with God. And so that's what I'm encouraging us towards. And so this summer, we're looking at um, various emotions that might be in our hearts, various circumstances we might find ourselves in, and how we can bring each of those to God. So two weeks ago, we looked at our sin, just the mess inside of us and how we bring that to the Lord. Last week, we looked at uh, our grief, our losses, our laments, and how we can bring that. And today we look at our anger, our bitterness. And we ask the question, is that too fair game or not <laughs> with God? So we're going to talk about um, what, what, uh, new t- uh, what scholars call the Psalms of imprecation. And to imprecate is to invoke a curse on somebody. So we're going to to look at psalms where the psalm is calling on God to judge his enemies. Okay, they're sometimes called psalms of anger or psalms of wrath. Basically, the psalmist will wish every conceivable evil to happen on his enemies. And we're going to look at these. Um, C.S. Lewis has a great quote. He says, in these psalms, we have hatred undisguised. We see anger, rage, resentment, bitterness, desire for revenge in its rawest form expressed with perfect freedom almost like a child would. <laughs> and some of us who have kids know that they can sometimes express that anger with perfect freedom. And we see that in the Psalms. And you know, of all the Psalms we'll look at this summer, these, I think, rightfully create the most tension for us as Christians, right? Like these make us maybe uncomfortable uh, or maybe offended or at least embarrassed. These are the ones we don't want our non-Christian friends reading, right? This gives the Bible a really bad look, right? And so I want to I ask the question today, what role do these psalms have in the life of a new covenant Christian, if any, okay? And the tension should be obvious to us, right? We can think about um, the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, his ethics, right? He invites us to, or doesn't invite us, he commands us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you or bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse or in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, forgive us as we forgive those, not curse those, right, who sin against us, or Paul and Romans. Uh, now you must rid yourselves of all such as these anger, rage, and malice. These things you need to get out of you, right? Rid yourself of these things. So the question is, okay, in light of that, what role do these Psalms have, if any? Uh, because that's those aren't like suggestions for Christians. These are This is the New Testament kingdom ethic, okay? We are called into that kind of life. And yet, these psalms also are the word of God. So how do we, what role do these play, if any? And I want to talk about that today. And um, I'll just say at the front end, of all all the the stuff this summer, this one's maybe the most exploratory, if I can use that. Like I'm going to, I may be wrong in some of the things I say today, I'm I'm always possibly wrong, of course, but... um, this one I offer to you as a conversation piece. This is what makes the most sense to me. But I want to explore this a little bit today and, and see what, how do we treat this as the Word of God as, as New Covenant Christians, all right? You up for that? Yeah. Okay, good. Most of you are still awake. That's good news. Okay. Um, so uh, before we look at this, let's, let's talk about enemies and let's talk about anger for a minute, okay? So I want you to, let's make this personal. Um, I want you to think, when was the... When was the last time you experienced someone as an enemy? Okay? Think through this. When, when was the last time you felt like you were treated unfairly? Uh, you experienced some kind of injustice, some kind of evil? Or you just experienced someone as your enemy? I want you to actually identify something. Okay? It might be the person you're sitting next to right now. I mean, this is, you know, this, there's all sorts of people that we might at times. its <laughs> not two friends hug just then. Uh, identify as, as enemies. Okay, I want you to come up with something. And uh, I was thinking about this. Uh, sometimes our enemies are people we will probably never meet. Okay? Like, I would guess if we took a poll and said, who is the person you have invoked curses on most in the last five years? Let's just say, or last 10 years, whatever it is, that you have, you have like, wished ill will towards? I would guess for a lot of us, it's someone we've never personally met, okay? It's a politician, right? It's a, <laughs> it's a leader. It's, it's someone that we, uh, on the internet, that we, we read their blog, we read their comments, right? And we said all sorts of things that we want to happen to them, right? So, um, or it's, it's the, the person who cut us off on the freeway, right? And we invoked a curse, right? We never meet them. So for some of us, it's, it's someone we actually will never personally meet. Uh, and then sometimes we experience our, some, some of the people who are closest to us as enemies, right? People that we interact with every day. And my guess is for some of you, when I ask that question, uh, there's a work context that comes to mind, right? You've got a boss or a coworker or maybe even a client that you at least are experiencing as your enemy. Um, or some of us have a friend who who betrayed our trust, who treated us in a really bummer way. Um, and sometimes our own family members we experience as enemies, right? Sometimes our spouse that we experience, or our, or our kids, or our in-laws, right? So sometimes they're very close to us. Uh, and some of us, of course, we think of spiritual enemies that we have. Some of us, we feel like we're our own worst enemy, right? So the enemy can come from, from different places, um, but there are enemies, and then, let, then let's talk about anger, okay? Enemy is sort of the external circumstance, and anger is the internal experience of having enemies, okay? So I want you to think about, when was the last time you were significantly angry? Okay, might have been on the drive here, possibly. Okay, but think about, when were your last, God, ah, that made me so angry, okay? And I was thinking about, you know, we're thinking about all these different emotions this summer. Now, anger is such an interesting thing, and I, what I want to do, I actually want to defend anger for a minute, okay? I mean, some of us in this room, uh, anger is an underdeveloped emotion. Like, that's me. Like, I, uh, I haven't worked out the anger muscle a lot. So it's very weak and small. Some of you work out the anger muscle all the time, right? You're like, and it's not like a spiritual thing. It's just constitutionally, some of us are wired differently. But for some of you, anger is just under the surface. It's always waiting to pop up, right? But I want, I want to defend anger for a second. You know, I was reading an article on anger this week, and uh, the article said we think that anger and love, we think of anger and love as opposites, but they're actually close companions, right? We get angry because we love. Right? Because we hate when people hurt us and our loved ones and when unrighteousness and injustice abound in the world, right? Anger is, is the result of caring for something deeply, for, of loving something, and then that thing being wounded or mistreated or threatened, right? Anger is, is a result of that. God himself throughout the scriptures gets angry, right? And he does that because God himself loves so deeply, so in the, in the scriptures, he describes himself as very slow to anger, but he's not angerless. <laughs> and when we watch Jesus in action, we see a perfect reflection of his Father. He is very slow to anger, but he can also access righteous anger when it needs to be accessed, right? So uh, anger and, and love are, are connected. Love this um, quote I saw. This is Henry Ward Beecher. This is an old minister who was an abolitionist back in the day. I love this quote. A person who does not know how to be angry does not know how to be good. Now and then we should be shaken to the core with indignation over things evil. Right? So there's a goodness. Anger is, is evidence that we care, that we love something. But of course, as we all know, the problem is anger can so quickly move from righteous anger to unrighteous anger. And Paul in Ephesians 4 says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold, okay? When anger stirs in a certain way, that's like an invitation saying, Satan, you come on, Satan to Ryan's thing, Satan loves anger, (laughs) okay? Anger is Satan's playground, potentially, so quickly turns into something um, that he can use for evil. And all of us in this room know what it means to stew and to, to get worked up and to, to be filled with resentment at various things. And we know how anger can really hurt our own spiritual lives. If we don't know how to deal with it, that can really be harmful to our own spiritual lives. And of course, we know how anger can hurt those around us so much. And I, I'm willing to bet if we took a poll and I asked you what are the moments in your life where, that you regret most? Some of you in this room, those would be moments where you let your anger get the best of you, and you hurt people. You said some things, or you did some things um, that you couldn't really undo, and that you regret. Or some of you in this room, some of your hardest moments were receiving somebody's anger uh, in a way that was so hurtful and harmful. All that to say, anger is a complicated thing. And, And what do we do with it? As followers of Jesus, what do we do with anger? And I I think actually these psalms can help us in in a strange way, okay? So let's look at the psalm. Um, It's too long, obviously, to go verse by verse. So I want to just give you an overview of the psalm, some of the basic movements of the psalm. And it's really, it's representative of the other psalms of imprecation. They all kind of have some of these core aspects to them. So I just want to show you just real quickly, like five key aspects of these psalms. First you have a description of the enemy, okay? whoever the enemy is. And I'm gonna list as many as I could fit on this screen from this psalm, okay? So David refers to his enemies as those who fight against me, those who plot my ruin. They dug a pit for me without cause. They repay me evil for good. When I stumbled, they gathered in glee. They slandered me without ceasing, they maliciously mocked, they hate me without reason, they devise false accusations, they gloat over my distress, okay? That's a dark picture of the enemy. And maybe there's some of those descriptions that you relate to, like you, you've had moments where you're like, yes, I know what it, it's like to have an enemy who does that, and before I move on past that, I just want to acknowledge this is a real enemy. Like this, this is a, David has experienced real evil and injustice. And so um, it's tempting to read these Psalms and like kind of come on our uh, moral high ground and say, I, I would never respond so badly as David. But, but most of us have never experienced this kind of enemy, this kind of injustice, okay? I mean, this, this is not the car that cut you off on the freeway, right? This is not the customer service rep who left you on hold for 45 minutes, okay? <laughs> Right. this isn 't the friend who didn 't invite you to their birthday that that 's not the kind of enemy this is this is real enemy, and so for me as I read this i 'm like I have never experienced this kind of enemy and so as i 'm reading this i 'm thinking about people in the world who have thinking of historically people over the last two thousand years who do experience this, whether they experience things like slavery right or or human trafficking or or uh, being in a country where Evil people who have power can do whatever they want with impunity, with no consequence, or, or where actually governments themselves are deeply corrupt, and they can oppress their, their citizens without, without the people having any recourse, right? This is the kind of true injustice. So before we tell David how he ought to respond, we just have to acknowledge that he's exp- this is a real enemy out there, okay? But that's the first thing. You get a description of the enemy. Uh, second, you have a claim of innocence, And you'll see that throughout. So look at verse 12. David is claiming his innocence. They repay me evil for good, right? I was good to them. They leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. And when my prayers for them returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I treated these people well. I did my best to love them and pray for them. And he's not claiming perfection, but like in the relational matter, I've been... Pretty I I think I've done things pretty right, and I'm still experiencing injustice. Okay? So you got the enemy, a claim of innocence, and then you have this description of God as a a warrior on behalf of the poor and needy. So there's lots of war language. Look at verse 2. Take up shield and armor, he's talking to God. Arise and come to my aid, brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me, right? God, as warrior. And then look at verse 10, look at the second half of verse 10: warrior on behalf of the poor. You rescue the poor from those too strong for them. The poor and needy from those who rob them. Right? God is this, he's this just, just warrior for, for those who can't defend themselves. Uh, and then, of course, you have a call for rescue. Um, look at verse 17. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their ravages, my precious life from these lions. Look at verse 22. Lord, you've seen this. Don't be silent. Don't be far from me, right? Awake and rise to my defense, right? Rescue me from this this really tough situation. And then, of course, you get the imprecation, the desire for judgment on his enemies. And let me list as many as I could fit on this screen, and there's more in this psalm than these, okay? Uh, Contend with them. Fight against them. May they be disgraced and put to shame. May they be like chaff before the wind. May their path be dark and slippery. May ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit they dug. May they be put to shame and confusion. May they be clothed with disgrace, okay? dark things to say about our enemies. So that gives you a sense of, of what he does in the psalm. And let me just ask the question, so what do we do with this? What do we do with a psalm like this? What role do they have in our lives today, if any? And again, this is a little exploratory. Um, some people would say these have no role in our lives, right? This is an Old Testament ethic, and now that Jesus has come, he reveals a kingdom ethic and we need to leave these utterly in the past. And that might be right. <laughs> there may be no role for them. But I'm going to suggest something a little different than that. And what I want to suggest is I, I think these, these psalms still have a theological role in our lives. And I actually think they have a practical role in our lives as well. Okay? So uh, let me talk through that, then we'll finish. Let me talk through what, what, what could possibly the theological role of these, these be. And what I asked myself this week is what do the New Testament writers themselves do with these psalms? And I would think they're not going to touch these psalms with a 10-foot pole, right? What's fascinating is there's three main psalms of imprecation, okay? There's uh, Psalm 35, Psalm 69, and Psalm 109. And all three of them are quoted in the New Testament without apology, without excuse. But here's the key. They all interpret them Christologically. Meaning they they quote these psalms, but say these psalms find their fulfillment ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ himself. So Jesus himself quotes some of these psalms. And he says, these psalms refer to me. So in our our passage here, look at verse, um, where is it? Now look at verse 19. Do not let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Do not let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. So, Jesus himself, remember the upper room, John 15, I'm the vine and you're the branches? Right after that, he quotes from this psalm. He says this, and he's talking about the Jewish leaders, kind of the, the Pharisees and the leadership of his day. And he says this If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have both hated me and my father, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law, and he quotes our psalm, they hated me without reason, okay? That psalm that David wrote ultimately is fulfilled in me, so here's what happens. Okay, David is the one who wrote all these psalms. Um, David, in that time, he was God's Messiah with a little a lowercase m. Messiah means anointed, right? He was the anointed king. He was clearly not a perfect man, but as the anointed king, he was God's representative. And in a very real way, the enemies of David were the enemies of God at that time. I mean, to, 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 to respond to David's anointed king uh, with judgment was to be on the wrong side of God. And, and so what the New Testament writers do is they say, these Psalms written by little Messiah ultimately are fulfilled in the ultimate Messiah, capital M, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect representative of God, right? He is God in the flesh. And when people refuse to acknowledge Him, they put themselves as God's enemies. Jesus didn't come to judge. He came to forgive. He came to bring grace and eternal life. But people who refuse His offer, who reject Him, right, who spurn Him, in them ultimately, they they are rejecting God And the imprecations of these psalms will ultimately be brought about on people who refuse to come to Jesus Christ. Vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. (laughs) Right? That is an Old Testament and New Testament idea. And so that is, I think, the theological place these still have in our lives is the enemies of God and his Messiah one day, and that could be us, right? One day they will experience the justice of God that is declared in these Psalms. And so where these fit theologically for us is, hey, this is not an invitation for personal vengeance in my life at all, okay? There's no, no invitation for that, but it's an acknowledgement that in, in the end, God's enemies and the enemies of Messiah will be brought to justice. Jesus is coming back, and he will put all things right? And there will be justice served. And these Psalms will be fulfilled in that way. Does that make sense a little bit? That's where I think they fit theologically. That's how we can honor these as Scripture in the same way that the New Testament authors do. And yet, obviously, not take revenge on our enemies. Okay, so let's, let me end. I want to get practical. What practical place does something like Psalm 35 have in our lives? Is there anything here that's modeled for me that I can actually follow? And and my suggestion would be, yes, there is. Um, And what what these Psalms model, it's what we've been talking about all summer, is an honest bringing of our hearts before the Lord. Whatever is on our hearts, even anger, even a desire to get even, even those things we can bring to God. And um, it's been a long time since I've done a diagram, so I figured it was time and I was thinking about this, like, how does anger work? Um, so here, here's, so there's you, okay? Uh, and there's your enemy, whoever that enemy is. And there's, when you've been mistreated, when you've experienced some level of, you know, unfairness and justice, there's two things that are always true. One is you have anger in your heart. You're angry, you're bitter, you're resentful. It's there, right? It's there. But the other thing is you have this command from your Lord that says, love your enemy. And again, it's not a suggestion. It's, it's a command, Right? And so the question is, I have these two realities, one here and one there, what do I do with that? And you've got like three options, right? One, option one is uh, just repress the anger, <laughs> right? Which is to say, shove it down, right? Not a bad strategy for a while, um, right? Just, just you know, get it, I don't know, just stop thinking about it. Just push it down and, and don't deal with it, don't work it, because you gotta love this person, so I guess you just have to take this emotion and stuff it, okay? That tends to not work great for the person who has anger, over the long haul, right? But that's an option. Um, option two is you could, uh, instead of stuffing it, you could enforce it. You could enact it, right? You could take action on your anger and express that anger, and, and meaning enforce that anger, do something really mean, or say something really mean, respond in kind. Uh, that deals with your repression. That tends to hurt the enemy though, doesn't it, right? or there's a third option and this is actually the option that all of these psalms take rather than repressing your anger rather than enforcing the anger you can express your anger and take it vertical to the lord it's here god you call me to love my enemy but this is this is here so i'm going to bring this up to you and that's actually what these psalms do they take all that anger resentment vitriol but they actually channel it upwards for all the like kind of embarrassing grossness of these psalms, they're not actually taking revenge on their enemies. They're not doing anything to their enemy. They're taking it all to God, right? And in fact, just the opposite. David said, I prayed for my enemy. When, when they were hurting, I, I, I was kind to them. They're not taking vengeance. They're directing everything vertical, and they're leaving it in the hands of the one who can deal with it. And I actually think that that is the practical use That psalms like this have for us. One commentary puts it this way: These psalms channel and harness our anger to the right place. Everything is brought to the throne of God, who alone is the judge, and it's left in His hands. And so I'm just I'm asking you to consider: What would it look like for you, rather than stuffing the anger and rather than blowing up in the anger, to take all that anger up to God and say, God and have a real honest conversation. I'm so mad at this person right now, right? I'm so angry, and I'm just, here's what I want you to do to them. <laughs> I mean, it's, you already know that this is what I want, so I'm just going to speak it out. I'm going to say it, right? This is, this is how I'm feeling, and I'm, but I'm going to take all this swirling mass of anger and, and just, uh, and I'm taking it to you, and I'm trusting that you can handle this because you already see it, and so whatever you can see, you can surely hear from me, Right? And I just think we get into so much trouble because we haven't learned how to take our anger and channel it to God, right? I mean, how many marriages maybe could be saved if, if we could learn how to pause? <laughs> and instead of push it down or instead of blow up, we could pause and take all that to God and do business with God. How many working relationships maybe could be saved? Relationships in the church, right? Every kind of relationship could be saved if we did that. And I actually think these psalms model something in that that is right and good. So let me leave you with a, kind of a, I think, a practical, um, practical on navigating anger, okay? Um, as I look at the psalms, I see kind of three things that the psalmists will do with their anger that I think is, is a great model for us today, okay? So let me just talk you through these, and then, then we'll wrap up. Um, Obviously, number one is they have no problem expressing their anger to God, okay? They don't pull punches with God. They feel total freedom to express really nasty feelings and emotions to God. Uh, and that's a, we're, we're encouraged to do that, I think, through the Psalms. But second, and this is where things start to get important, um, but then they entrust the situation into God's hand, right? They don't actually take revenge. They entrust it into God's care, And that's what we have to do, express, get it out, and then say, God, but I entrust the situation into your care. This is really interesting. This is what Jesus himself did when he experienced such injustice at the cross. This is 1 Peter. It says, when they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, and here's the phrase, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted the situation because he knew my father is a just God. He cares about justice. And so I can entrust this to him and know that ultimately I will be vindicated. And of course he was. Three days later, he was vindicated when God rose him from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of God as king of the universe. Talk about vindication. But he he believed my father is just. I can leave this in his hands. And that's what we're encouraging to do. This is Romans 12 Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord, right? And so I wonder for some of you, especially those of you that that really anger is a very common emotion, what would it look like for you to be full freedom to share that with God, but then to entrust the situation to God and and to actually experience God saying to you, I see you in your anger. I see your anger, and in as your anger is righteous, I'm angry too. <laughs> like, I understand what it means to be angry about something that's gone wrong, and, and I care about what you care about, okay? Um, and unlike your anger, my anger is pure. <laughs> it's not tarnished in any way, but I am, I am just, and I'm in the perfect position to do something about this, and I want you to trust me that as your just God, I will do something about this. Justice will be served, um, but in my timing and in my way, not your timing and your way. But you can trust that in the end, I know how to put all things right. And to experience our God with us in our anger and for us and perfectly equipped to do something, even if that something is, of course, not the way we would want it to go down, which often it's not. And it's not the timing we'd want. But in the end, we have a God who cares about justice. And so we can entrust all the anger. We can entrust the situation to God. So that's what they do. They express and they entrust. And then one more, and this is really important. And then they invite God. God, I'm now inviting you into all this anger, everything I've just shared. I want you to now shine your light in this and tell me what needs to change here. What's good and what's not about all that I've just said? And that's what we saw in Psalm 139. This was the one we did in week two. This is that beautiful psalm, right? You've searched me and you know me, right? It's actually a psalm of imprecation. Like after there's like such beauty, but then there's like three nasty little verses right in the middle of all this beauty. And here it is. If only God, you'd slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? and abhor those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Anger, right? Desire for revenge. But then he turns from that and and invites God in. Okay, God, you just heard my heart. Now search me. Know my heart, right? Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I've just kind of spewed a bunch of stuff at you, but I've entrusted to you. Now I'm inviting you to speak into my life. And if we're willing to, and a lot of people are not willing to do that. We just want to get it out. It's it's not about just getting it out. It's about inviting God. God, what do you want to purify? here? What do you want to say about what I just said? (laughs) And if we're willing to do that, we will find oftentimes that the Spirit revealed to us, oh, that that anger that felt so righteous upon reflection was not quite as righteous as I thought it was. Right? Like, oh, um, Actually, that was, that was just my pride that was, that was offended, that, or my insecurity got triggered. Triggered, or As I step back, I realized, I'm, I'm kind of a selfish and petty person, <laughs> and I see that now. God. But I kind of needed to go through the process for you then to reveal to me, oh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in here that, that needs to be deal with, dealt with. All right, so there, there it is. That's, I think, how the Psalms deal with anger. <laughs> they express it, but they entrust it, and they invite God into it. And I think that's the call for us. And, you know, we're called to love our enemies. And what we learn in Psalms like this is that kind of enemy love is a hard-fought love. Right? That doesn't happen easily. A person who's able to do that can only do that because they've done a lot of inner work and wrestling with God and have experienced the Spirit of God in the midst of the broken and the honest parts of their lives. And so that's what we're invited into in order that we might actually fulfill the command to love our enemies. All right, let's pray. Would you bow with me? Let's do this. Let's take a moment just to reflect. And if if you would, again, just identify maybe the most recent experience, or you might be in it right now, where you have experienced someone as an enemy or you're experiencing an amount of anger. And, And why don't you just, in prayer, Just ask the question, God, what what business do I need to do with you? Where do we need to do business together with this anger and situation? Where do I need to bring this to you or experience something from you? Just take a moment. God, what, what business do we need to do together with this? And then one more question would be to consider, in what business do I need to do with my enemy, with that person? Uh, what are you calling me to do? Is there, is there reconciliation? Is there repair? Uh, is there apology? Or is there honest conversation? Like what would be the next redemptive step uh, that I could take? Father, thank you that you see us uh, even in our angry, bitter moments. And that even that anger and bitterness is something that we can bring to you. And actually you want us to bring it to you so that you can, you can hear it and heal it, redeem it. And we're grateful for that. I just pray your spirit would work uh, in us uh, where there's a lot of undealt with anger and resentment that, that even today might be a, a significant step towards healing. And I, too, I pray also for our relationships. Um, that you'd help us to be those who seek to reconcile and do our best to live peaceably as far as it's possible. Uh, so yeah, we just pray that for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.